0: I'm your host, Rob Nixon, here on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, and it is my pleasure and I'm absolutely stoked today to have Matt Love from the Oregon coast as uh, my guest, and we're going to be talking about Oregon beaches, uh, driftwood Forks, and Matt's love and advocacy of the Oregon beach bill um just to give you a little background on matt before we get going here um i was introduced to him uh around 2011 uh by a friend of mine charlie pleidman who's the uh, oregon policy manager for the surf fighter foundation um he was promoting uh, a project that matt had done um with the uh, newport high school uh newspaper uh called sanctuary which we'll get into in the interview i it was amazing i still have it in, the, in my uh, nightstand uh next to my bed um matt is an oregonian um he's an educator of history and writing if i'm correct um he's a founder of Nestucca. is that correct pronunciation matt that's correct uh spit press which is an independent publishing company yes it is he's an author of 19 books about oregon history and the speeches um to 2009 winner of the Oregon Literary Arts Stuart H. Holbrook Literary Legacy Award. He is a beach fort engineer and a documentary actor and producer of The Politics of Sand, which is about the Oregon speech bill. It's a phenomenal uh, documentary that I highly recommend, and we'll get into that, too, in the interview. But I'd like to start off by saying, welcome, Matt. Thank you for sh- taking the time out and making the, the travel to to do the, uh, to do the podcast today.
1: Well, I, Rob, I'm honored to be on the show. Um, I always like to support anybody who is advocating on behalf of public beaches anywhere, um, access to public beaches, clean water, all the things that you guys do. Surf Rider um, It's very important to me. I, I'm not – I'm sort of unaffiliated with my advocacy and my writing, and that's kind of the way I like it, but I do appreciate all the effort that uh, others – are doing on behalf of protecting, um, you know, our beach resources because it's an ongoing battle. I mean, there's always people that want to come along and claim them for private interest or pollute them or, you know, deny access. So I'm happy to be on the show and talk about anything you want, um, and particularly about Oregon's unique legacy of publicly owned beaches.
0: Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, Oregon. I've never been there. It's on my bucket list. Um, but it's people like you and, uh, you know, uh, that have come across that. It, I mean, it just you can almost smell the beaches the way you guys describe that beach. And I think that's, that's a big Testament to how much you love your beaches. Um, and, and what y'all are willing to do for them. Um, what, what, what drew
1: you to the Oregon coast? Were you, were you born in Oregon or, or, Um, well, it's a pretty interesting story. I was in my early thirties and living in Portland, um, which was just about, ready to become the Portlandia as it's now known. And I was pretty dead as a human being, Rob. I, I wanted to be a writer and I was teaching with distinction in Portland area, but and I had a nice little loft downtown. And one day I just knew that I got caught in traffic. I go, I gotta, I gotta move. I gotta, I gotta do something to reinvent myself as a human being. So I took a job teaching on the Oregon coast, and I had no real special affinity for the Oregon coast, which is about two hours from Portland, where I went. And there I found the ocean, and I found beaches with nobody on them. And I began to come alive as a human being and explore the story of Oregon's unique legacy of publicly owned beaches and the famous battle of the 1967 beach bill, which uh, really is probably Oregon's most important law it ever passed guaranteed uh, public ownership up to the high tide line and then dedicated public access and i when i found those beaches in the condition that they were you know untrammeled undeveloped you know no boardwalks no commercialization um you could go anytime night or day you virtually never had to pay at all you still don't and i was just like how did it happen i traveled all over the world and I had to pay for, pay for beaches, um, you know, or or pay for umbrellas or, you know, when you're in France, you got to pay for a beach time or a deck chair to access the beach. And it just was completely different here. And that story really imbued me as a writer, um, how citizens back in the late sixties had really come forward in a couple of really heroic politicians to save those beaches from privatization. And I came along later, you know, 25 years later, and it opened up, you know, my spiritual world, my creative mind, my advocacy, and uh, it just meant it means everything to me. And that's sort of the story how I found them. And then, you know, I've had an evolution with them over the years with my teaching and writing and spirituality. And and it continues to um, be the, the number one inspiration in my life. In fact, I was just down on the beach this morning about dawn. I always usually go in the morning. Um, I want to see the tide. I don't want to see footprints. And, you know, I virtually never see another human being where I am. And I just get, I get it all together there. And then I begin my day when I come back and start whatever I'm doing.
0: That is awesome. Um, that, that seems to be a common thread with, uh, with beach lovers, uh, in general, no matter if you're, you know, if you're just going to walk on the beach, if you're going surfing, if you're going fishing, you know, whatever, it's, it's just being there and, and, it's always a bonus not to have a lot of people around just so you can enjoy it yourself and listen to the sounds and, what's going around you. And, and, you know, which just take it all in. It, it's, it's awesome. Um, and so let's, there's two things that, well, the first thing that, that got me really into you was the sanctuary thing. We'll get to that uh, mm-hmm. a little later, but, um, so I, I live on a barrier Island. We have a lot of sand, uh, we build a lot of sand castles, um, but okay. the the culture of the driftwood fort fascinates me. Um, and uh, from what I've seen, following you and, and others, I mean, this is a this is a big deal in the Oregon coast, and it, you seem to be uh, put you as as one of the experts for sure as far as as building goes. Uh, because I mean, I've I've gone through some of your blog posts and and, and other things like that, and I mean you have that you claim the biggest beach fort in history is it is that correct
1: yeah it was uh, um, it was about a three-story one with a library and a bar and a sitting room and um, yeah that was a monster when I had some help on but I'm usually always building driftwood forts by myself and sort of the the story of that was you know, um, I guess I noticed them coming down here as a kid but never really participated. It wasn't until I moved down here as an adult that I began to see these structures. And, and uh, you know, my interest was piqued. And then um, around like 2011-12 is when I really started getting into them. And I my press, the stuck is Press, published a book by an Oregon author, um, James Herman, called Driftwood Forts of the Oregon Coast. And that book came out in 2015, and it was a cult hit. Rob, it sold out in like nine months, and um, it's become a re- it's become a real treasure trove for people. I don't have, I never reprinted it. And then, working alongside James and his commitment to building, I just just took it in a different direction, and, and I build. I in- invite other people to build. Um, I leave message little tin boxes with messages like with paper and pencil and pens and invite people to write messages to the fort or whatever they want. And I've collected an an incredible body of writing from visitors to these, these forts that I'm going to do something with someday. I'm not sure, but I I've never been so inspired by what people write in those things. You know, there's celebrations of life, of loss, uh, a lot of stoner (laughs) references. Um, a lot of people leave little, little nugs behind and, or they're on a date, or a young a kid is writing his name or her name for the first time. There, one person was dying. One person was bringing his father to see the ocean for the last time. It's just beautiful interaction. It's all because people are curious curious enough to leave what they're doing to the beach and crawl inside of fort and notice that there's a ten box and then they open it and then they respond. And I, it just. It really brings hope to me that people can still have those kind of tactile experiences in the age of digital phones and you know and the internet and all this stuff and, and that people still care about that experience. It all has resulted because I built these forts, and people are enticed by them. And one of the things, Rob, that's really interesting from a sociological standpoint on this fort building, they're built by adults. They're really? not built by kids. And yes, and kids – help their parents, but the parents or, you know, the, the older brother, I I've seen it and I just know it from, you know, anecdotal evidence. It's, it's, it's adults that are going back to the womb or back to the fort times of their youth. And I find it inspiring. I've got one installation where I live. I've got 14 forts going, um, in this one stretch of beaches, very remote. Hardly anybody sees it. And I mean, I just do it for physical exercise, i do it for spiritual exercise i love the zen buddhism of building driftwood forts because it's never going to last they're not going to last they will invariably be blown down by a storm or you know destroyed by a high tide or whatever reason very few people actually destroy them unless they're you know total drunken miscreants uh that kind of makes me kind of laugh too because they had fun you know destroying the fort because i'll rebuild it and that's the whole nature of it you you Build with what you find, you interlock, you interlace this wood, you build different styles of forts which with what you have around you. And I, it's a powerful metaphor for how to live. And you know, because Driftwood Ports on the Oregon coast, if you look at people's photographs from their family albums, they've been around forever. Okay. And it's because of the unique situation on the Oregon and somewhat of the Washington and Northern California coast. You have the coast range which is really close to the ocean. You have rainfalls of 80 inches a year and you've got logging. Okay. So you've got driftwood and you've got horrible timber practices, acts like clear cuts, which is a boon to all the, you know, driftwood, because it's got to flow down the rivers. It works its way out to the ocean. And then there it is. And if you don't have logging, you really don't have a lot of driftwood, you know, and, Oregon's still got plenty of logging and that's where we have a unique combination of the rain the tides all the rivers the estuaries that bring that wood down and then there it is for me and plus the beavers help out man there's so much beaver wood down there and those are my favorite pieces because they're notched, you know and they make great fork building materials and I just laugh when I find a good piece of beaver wood because it blew out from one of their dams or that you know they were eating off it and then all of a sudden here it is I'm using it because it's so architecturally perfect to build a driftwood fort, so I'm in collaboration with a beaver to build a piece of art or shelter. That is, us that's a soft. I had no idea. Forts. Okay,
0: so a lot of the, the driftwood is, is from the logging industry in Oregon.
1: Yeah, it's a slash. It's it's come down because they are cutting on extreme slopes. There's if we get a if we get a high flood event, it just blows wood down all these all these you know the 30 or so coastal rivers on oregon and then it just blows out through those estuaries and then it finds its way on on the beaches you know and some are more than others the the driftwood where i'm at right now is the most astonishing amount i've ever seen up north um in central oregon it's not as much because there's more people and it gets cut up for firewood and whatever um and it's there's better access to it but you've got to have you know logging slash Erosion. So, in other words, you know the driftwood possibilities here, or the fort possibilities, are are made better by a horrible practice like clear cutting. So the yin and the yang of that is kind of interesting to me as well.
0: No, that is that's a that's a really uh, very positive way to look at, at... I th- I well, I have to think that way. Otherwise, you look at those clear cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that that's that's cool. I did not know that about or I just thought you guys just got a lot of natural driftwood. <laughs> um, no. But that that, no. that explains a lot. That's interesting. Um, so you revisit your forts, and you, you have a lot of stories of uh, people you've met um, and spent time with in your forts. And the, the, the letter idea, the kind of message in a bottle, except it's in a mm-hmm. fort on a beach, is unbelievable. I mean, yeah, if you ever get the time and – and motivation and to, to put that into some sort of publication that oh that would be an amazing book to read.
1: I, I plan um, on it. I I've, I've written about it a little bit, but I keep collecting the messages. I have ten boxes out at about four or five forts along the Oregon coast, and I check them. You know, every other month or something, and you know they're always there. And um, I'm gonna do something with it somehow. I don't know. One of the things that the messages I really like is that people leave behind illustrations or it's their hand. These are all handwritten and who writes handwritten notes anymore? Okay. So (laughs) it's it's almost like a coffee table book of how I could show the forts and then the messages with them because they're on weird colored paper. People leave behind all these gifts, you know? Um, So I'm not sure as a publisher, how I'm going to do it, uh, but um, I'm going to figure out something one day um, and to, to, bring that to a larger audience.
0: Uh, Just to throw this out there, I was actually in a um, museum up in, uh, where was it? I think it was up in Dallas. Um, They had a a, a message in a bottle um, uh, uh, attraction. Uh, You went in this room and all the messages in the bottles were displayed along with the original bottles. That would be a cool thing to do with those two as well. Um, So, you said in a I believe one of your blog posts that your your ultimate desire would be to once you once you left our world to have your ashes left in a fort.
1: Is that correct? Well, um, I don't know if I wrote that because I don't want to be cremated. My okay. ultimate
0: would okay. be there you go.
1: my ultimate well, I put my two dogs, my beloved pets, I had them cremated and they were they were released inside a Driftwood Fort. <clears throat> Um, that might have been where you got okay. that from, but you know, my, my desire is to return the earth to the ocean not as a suicide, um, but as just a return. And when I feel like I'm no longer in, uh, you know, in fitness and mind or body, if you can make that determination, that, that would be the way I would want to go. And I don't consider that macabre at all. Um, I mean, I may not be able to handle that myself if I'm elderly, but, um, that is always a desire of mine to return to the ocean where all life began and all life continues to begin and, um, yeah, not, not waste resources. (laughs) So that's, uh, that's sort of what I want to do, but who knows? I may not have that choice when it comes down to it. That's, uh,
0: that's very interesting. Uh, that's a lot higher aspect than, than I think a lot of us have. And that's, that's awesome um so we've through this through the discussion of the the driftwood forts we we've we've pretty much established i mean and and what you just told us right now with the way you wish to to leave the earth i mean you are very spiritually tied to the oregon beach and the coast there and i think that's a great transition to, to to your love and advocacy for the oregon beach bill um, which was uh, passed in 1967. Um, it's loosely based on or was inspired by the 1959 Open Beaches Act in Texas, um, but really got started in 1913 with Oswald West, and, um, which declared uh, the Beaches in Oregon State Highway to
1: protect it publicly is that correct yes uh, west um was a one-term democratic governor and uh this is before 101 was put in he rode his horse over a couple of mountains coastal mountains and came up with the idea so he actually wrote a 66 word bill himself and then had it introduced and it was passed and it declared the um wet sands area of Oregon's public uh, – Oregon's beaches, a public highway. It was a total masterstroke, Rob, because it didn't cost the taxpayers anything, and they were already using the beach at low tide for north and south uh, travel uh, because there was no 101, Highway 101. There was no roadway. So it was, it was one of the most brilliant political decisions, and that really established the the public beach legacy Then, of course, was challenged um, in the late – in 1966, 67 – when private interest tried to grab the dry sands area um, and the dunal areas uh, for privatization, and that touched off the epic legislative battle uh, in 1967 that culminated with uh, legendary Oregon Governor Tom McCall, who was a Republican, um, signed the bill into law that declared the you know, Oregon control and ownership up to the median high tide line in the dry sands area. And what's important for your listeners is that the water off the Oregon coast is so damn cold. You know, you don't really recreate, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's the dry <laughs> yeah. sands. This is not Hawaii, you know, or, or LA. This is the dry sands area where people hang out. They build forts. They picnic. And like, if that bill hadn't passed in '67, and it was at death's door until some some heroes, including um, you know citizens. Um, um, a journalist named Matt Kramer and just everybody uh, came forward and demanded that, you know, the legislature and the governor protect that dry sands area. So that's that bill. If it had not passed, you would not recognize the Oregon coast today. It would have been. It would. You know, it just would have been boardwalks, commercialization. The hotels would have grabbed all beachfront property, all and built all the way down to the, you know, the wet sands area. And you wouldn't have had as many state parks and so uh, thank god that bill passed and i mean how many times can we point to a piece of legislation state legislation that was passed and enhanced your life on a daily basis can you name a law like that not very many that's for sure no Um, and that's what is remarkable about the beach bill ever i was just down there this morning beach bill guaranteed public access don't have to pay you know, and like I, I'm reminded that I'm not so cynical about government that it still can't do things like that to enhance all our lives and you know um, protect our watershed. So that that still that bill still inspires me. You know.
0: Yeah, I, I believe that that both the Oregon Beach Bill and the Open Beaches Act in Texas would have. They were at the perfect time when they happened. Um, I, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't. Agree. I don't think they could possibly happen in today's political climate anymore, but I agree. Um, and of course both of them are constantly under attack, um, always. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's a very common, uh, trait that Texans and Oregonians, uh, I believe share is, is their, their love and their, their defense of, of, those, those two bills because, uh, they're very unique. They're very progressive for their time. And, they have saved a lot of uh natural resources for for both states and the country
1: well and that's a very interesting point you bring up because you know oregon's a very blue state and texas is a red state but yet they can find common ground on protecting you know public beaches and access to public beaches it, it holds out hope that there are some issues that can bring everyone together <clears throat> and uh <laughs> So I find that you know that inspiring as well. There, there's still there's still hope. You know, maybe uh, protecting the beaches is sort of a metaphor uh, for you know larger issues. Let's hope. I,
0: I, I hope so. Yes, there's there's very few things right now in this, in in, uh, in our current world that uh, people can't all agree on, and I think a lot of it does. Uh, one common denominator is, is natural resources uh, for the most part. Um, people have the different interpretations of how to use them, but, but they, for the most part, want to conserve. Right. Um, so, your love of the Oregon Beach Bill and its history translated into The Politics of Sand, which came out in 2008. Um, uh, I, I can't remember exactly the first time I saw the documentary, but it was mind-blowing. It, it's such a great documentary on the history, and it's, it's not just, you know, your typical documentary. I mean, you, you, you leave after, after watching the movie, you feel inspired to do something. Um, and you felt like you've, you may not have ever been there like I have, but you feel like you, you've you been to Oregon, you've gotten to know the people and you understand their, their, their passions for, for, for their coast. Um, and, and this goes all the way from, from, you know, the, the the beach bill to to current day in the in the documentary um how, how did you how did you put that project together
1: or how, or how you... well oh. i just i got to correct the record i didn't ma- oh, okay. i actually <laughs> did not make the film uh, a portland filmmaker named tom olson produced and directed uh politics's hand after he saw one of my public presentations <clears throat> on my passion for the beach bill so we collaborated on that and the, and for your, your listeners, you can view that film on Vimeo, which is the the website that has um, uh, you know uh, all these this free content. So politics is hand on Vimeo Vimeo can it can be viewed there, and it's worth it's worth seeing. It was a really well received documentary, and, and Tom came along and was able to capture some of the people that actually made the law happen before they passed away. And it's an inspiring story of people coming forward, uh, including my favorite character is a journalist named Matt Kramer who basically rescued that, that bill from oblivion. It was about ready to be tabled, and he started cranking out you know, um, the five-paragraph news reports that, of course, don't exist in American media today uh, that alerted people to, hey, public access in Oregon uh, might be going away. And so the documentary, um, I was great to be a part of that. And, um, you know, it's, it's still timely to watch. And as you just alluded to earlier, you know, the threats are constant, Rob. You know, like, they don't give up. Um, we need to uh, usurp the public's right to recreate in the beach, denying public access. It's a constant battle. And thank God we do have people like Charlie Plyburn and Surfrider that are vigilant on these matters. Um, there's always a land grab from new people coming to Oregon that don't get it, and, and that story of politics with sand that's shown there and some of the other stuff that's out there is just, I just, I like to think I, I help remind people that Oregon did it differently a long time ago, you know, 50 years now, 52, 51, 52 years, and We've got to uh, yes. keep thinking uh,
0: that way. You've mentioned Matt Kramer a couple times now. He, I guess you could, um, compare him to today's uh, modern modern blogger as far as the amount of information and in, in, in frequency he was po- he was writing articles about the status of the beach bill and what people needed to do to, to to preserve
1: and pass it. Right. Well. I guess you know the the problem with that uh, analogy is that Matt Kramer was just a veteran reporter who never wrote a first person piece in his life. <clears throat> you know, he was sent to report on the committee. He didn't talk about what Matt Kramer thought. He simply sat there and read the bills, interviewed people, the old shoe leather reporting, journalism one hundred one, the facts inverted pyramid, who, what, where, when, and how, and he reported it. He wrote like. Something, an ungodly amount of 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 words during the run-up to the, you know, the uh, when McCall finally signed it, but he never wrote his opinion, and he just let people decide for themselves. Now I talked to his son, and he, he you know, Kramer had opinions on the bill, and he snuck them in there like any good reporter does, right? Um, Right, because if you believe in something, you can't just be objective about when you're standing there. And he loved to go to the beach. Matt Kramer did and drink his homemade wine, you know. And uh, um, and and wear his loafers down there. And so, you know, it, he's he wasn't a blogger, but I guess there could be in a similar circumstance today because we know, like, all these local newspapers are are folding all over across the country, and we don't have that hard news reporting on that we need. Um, you know, to keep government in check and to keep private industry in check. And so, yeah, I guess you could say there might be a blogger come along like that. But, I mean, he wrote in such a different style um, that that's what's really uh, astonishing when you read his work today. That's I mean, the, the,
0: the characters involved are just I mean, it, it, it's just uh, it's a very great story that um, I don't think very many people outside of the state of Oregon know about. Um, and that's, no, that's unfortunate they, they don't
1: um
0: so at one point you were were you a high school teacher actually or are you just in yeah i taught
1: camp? high school um i stopped doing that a few years ago and um i taught high school <clears throat> excuse me off and on for about 25 years and the last tw- uh, let's see five the last 10 or so was at the oregon coast at various high schools and really rolled in um, the beaches into my curriculum whether it be photography or journalism or creative writing or English and or alternate I worked with a lot of alternative school um, students too and I tried to get them to the beach as much as possible I mean I I, I mean I probably the only teacher in the history of American education that, that took field trips to the <laughs> sports but um, I just you know let the taxpayers pay for it or I paid for them myself and to get those kids down there to build and to play and to think, and then we wrote, we created a, a special issue about driftwood forts too. You never saw that one. That was mind blowing. Oh, wow, I should have that one out. Yeah. And then, yeah, that was pretty wild. And I just, you know, I wanted them because Rob, they weren't learning about the Beach Bill in U.S. history. Right. Okay, and in Oregon, they, ta- they have to take uh, state history in fifth grade, and all they get is the Oregon Trail and Lewis and Clark. Okay, that's it. And maybe a little bit about the genocide of the Native Americans. But they, they don't have anything of the modern story, which, which makes Oregon cool. So I felt, you know, I really had a responsibility as an educator to teach these kids the legacy of beaches because when I was teaching at the coast, they all interacted with the beaches. Whether they were going down there drunk late at night, bonfires, raising hell, going down there at prom night, going in the morning, I mean, or going there when their parents were screaming and drinking and they had to get away. I mean, I heard a million stories like that. And so I was i was really proud to integrate the beaches and, and that aspect of Oregon history into my curriculum.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, in Texas, the
1: seventh grade, we have to take it. Yeah, Texas I mean, it's history. just and it's basically just the Texas
0: Revolution. That's all I really cover. I mean,
1: that's you know, right. You're going to get Sam that. Houston in Alamo, you yeah. know, and yeah. um, so, and those stories, are, you know, okay, great, but, you know, they're, they don't have the impact on a, a kid's life. Like, you go to the beach, it's free. You can go there anytime you want. Why is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah know, I totally Just, agree. just yeah. ask the question, and then there you go, you know. Um, so, while you were at uh, Newport High
0: School, um, and this is how you came into my world, as I said earlier, uh, I can't remember exactly how it all happened. I, Char- I remember talking to Charlie. He's like, man, I've got this really cool high school magazine this guy made. And I was the students on the Oregon Beach Bill. And, and you got to check it out. And he like offered like copies to everybody that wanted one. I was like, all right, I'll take one. So he, he mailed one to me. And I got in the mail. And I was you know, the, the cover, it's called Sanctuary, you know, celebrating Oregon's yeah. great birthright. The, you know, the cover is this greenish cover. Mine's a little faded. I think it used to be green. But um, and uh, you know, it's got three people on the you know on the beach uh playing jump rope with a uh, piece of kelp. And uh that's right. And, that's right and I'm like right. wow. And so I opened it up and it's You know, it's a collection of short stories and experiences of the beach from students and history of the beach bill. And how did you, Mm -hmm. how did you inspire these kids to come up with this? Because I've been, I've done my, my time in, you know, going in front of classes and trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, try to transfer my passion to them. And a lot of times it's just, you know, glazed over eyes and, and, you know, because I'm too, maybe I get too wonky, but but, you know, what, what this this was is, is just, it's it's awesome. And I just, you know, I want to talk to you. How, how were you able to pull this off with those kits?
1: Well, thank you for those kind words. That was a, a real hit publication, and we didn't print enough because it got snatched up. Um, we always would do a special issue every year um, that celebrated some aspect of Oregon living. We did one on the uh, commercial fishing industry uh, in Newport. We did one on Driftwood Forts. And we did one on Tom McCall on his 100th birthday. And then this year, we just – that that sanctuary, that was just the, through a consensus um, process. They chose that, and I arranged for a field trip uh, to go up to Oswald West State Park, which is about a two-and-a-half-hour drive from Newport High School. And we were going go, uh, to go to the Matt Kramer Memorial because it's a memorial in that park. That's um, erected to, on behalf of a journalist. Now, how many do you see those in the United States? Okay, and it's nest—it's nestled in this beautiful overlook where all the surfers are, and it's just hidden away. So I wanted those kids to lay their hands on this memorial and just, you know, make an oath to always trying to write responsibly and to call attention to something that needs calling attention to. So we got on the bus. I don't even think this is mentioned in the publication. From the moment we walked on the – stepped on the bus at like 7.30 in the morning to the time we got back, it rained every minute hard. In fact, that day was – it rained 4.75 inches in one day. And we got soaked to the core, and we brought our cameras. We we made bonfires. We brought footballs. We just went down there, and we played, took pictures, wrote on prompts while we were soaked, and then – they came back, and then the next within the next couple of weeks, we began the process of putting out that publication based on that field trip to jog our you know our senses. I always thought that way, like let's go do something, and then we'll write about it. Um, and you got to get out of the classroom. And so we did, but man, we got soaked. And then that publication was the result. Beautiful design, um, elegant paper. We got some. Um, got a, I, I wrote a grant to you know fund the higher quality paper and the larger press run. And it was just – and then we distributed it everywhere on the coast. Like I got it up north, up south, and it's gone. I mean it was just snapped up right away and really spoke to people about Oregon's legacy. So that's the story behind that.
0: It's like a – I guess the closest thing you can compare it to is is it's a high school manifesto of how much they love their, their beaches. And, um, and
1: there is a manifesto in it, I think, at the beginning. and Yeah, the, and, actually, I was going to read that to, back to you just for a yeah, second. Yeah, I mean, uh, that was a just a mashup of all their responses. And um, I don't even – why don't you read it?
0: Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, this is what really drew me in. Um, was, we, the students of NHS, have grown up on these beaches. We understand the sanctity of each grain of sand. We use our sandy playground to swim, surf, and frolic by day, bonfire and stargaze by night. We fall in love by the tide pools. We embrace on tubular waves as passion. We know every inch from Anna to Agate, which I don't know if I pronounced this right. Um, the salty waves run through our veins. We, the students of NHS, traded the metal shackles of privatization for sandy socks long ago. We insist on our right to unharness nature, to free beaches. We grapple at the thought of Californication The beaches are in us and of us. Who dares to privatize? Who dares to put a price tag on our catharsis? We, the students of NHS, present sanctuary, our manifesto in honor of Tom McCall to Oswald West and to our great birthright. Wow. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, if you told me this came out of a high school, I would would have never believed you, but it's awesome there.
1: It makes me want to just run through a brick wall right now. I, I haven't heard it for years, and uh, thank you for calling attention to that. And you know that Rob, that publication moves people in a way that just a, you know a newsletter or an update from a foundation um, can't. And you know, as we're talking about it, I, I'd like to see you know, some of these nonprofits that are protecting, you know, resources and advocating from half take that approach, the more creative approach yeah. um, with poetry and photography and short memoir and manifestos and, and all that stuff. I think sometimes it, it it reaches people in a way that just, you know, basic journalism or blogging or screaming just, you know, there's so much of that anymore that, the, you know, the creative approach might be the better way to move people's hearts and minds.
0: I agree. I, I, I do, I do see a lot of, uh, you know, um, environmental NGOs and, and stuff like that, that, that wrestle with, you know, it's, in today's world with, you know, social media and stuff, it's, you know, flash flash, yeah. and, and cleanliness and this, mm-hmm. and it's very, it, it can get very sterile. Um, and uh, sometimes you, you walk by a place and, you see, like you know, especially if you're looking at like an upstart group that's trying to do something, and you walk by and they've got their their hand painted signs, and they they they've gone out to the, to the uh, hardware store on their own and their own stuff. I mean that that grabs your attention a lot, mm-hmm. a lot quicker and shows yes. that, that their heart is is completely in it at that point. Um, and I think that's that's Amen. lost in a lot of a uh, lot of groups. Don't get it wrong, I mean, there's a lot of groups out there doing great jobs and and um and but sometimes you know it's those four or five people that get together one day and say you know what we're going to change this and they they do it just on their own so
1: that's that's that's
0: that's an amazing well, thing when you see it happen
1: yeah and let me speak to that like that's kind of what the driftwood fort message project is about because it's tactile <clears throat> excuse me you see it you see other people's writing and like I think people are really uh, hungrier than they've ever been for tactile experiences to find publications and art and photographs or whatever the case may be that where they're not looking for it, it speaks to them in a way that social media cannot. And it moves people, signage. you know, I, I think that there needs to be a lot of people – and I know there's a lot of artists and people making zines and doing that kind of stuff and still believing in that, but I, I really believe it works. And I've seen it for myself in that in the message project with the forts about how people are longing for communication and to to express themselves, but in in this way that's private that they don't even know who's reading it. And yet, there's just something really. I'm still trying to unlock what I'm reading in those messages, but I know there's something there that can speak to a larger audience about what where we need to get to or or you know evolve so I'm still working it's a work oh, in progress yeah. I mean,
0: you're sitting on a <clears> or
1: <throat> well,
0: you're sitting on a treasure trove of, of people's thoughts and their, their feelings and their passion for for the where they were at and where they were mentally and spiritually that day I mean, it's, could be amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's
1: that's right you know and they're funny too Rob some of them are really funny like one, one woman said I'm on the worst date of my life I took refuge <laughs> in your court thank you <laughs> I mean that's funny, and then there's always people. Like one, you know, I get some. Very rarely do you get profanity, you know. Very rarely, you also very get very little uh, exhortations or praise of God or uh, religious sentiment. It, it's very secular. In fact, I think I've had one sort of Christian theme one, which kind of surprised me a little bit. But you know, I, I and a couple of people have left behind these crazy illustrations, you know, their penis or or and you know. Oh yes, we just had sex in here. Thank you for you know. Blah. I mean, I, I, it's people yeah. coming alive, you know, and um, and and not broadcasting it on social media, uh, which is digitized and it's in the ether. This is in a tin box in a fort overlooking the ocean, and they're like, whoa, you know, and um, so yeah, something. There's some antidote or some something in that, that uh, I think you know, I've got to tap into it and and spread that somehow. um, That's such a
0: great idea what you did. I mean, I can only imagine what you have, where you're sitting on, but um, so what would you, what would you say are the biggest challenges right now for the the Oregon coastline? I mean, are are there, I mean, it seems, seems quiet over there.
1: Yes, there, there are. And, um, I've talked to Charlie about the surf writer, Charlie Plyman, who's just a one-man um, army for the Oregon Coast preservation of uh, – just a wonderful guy. Um, what's going to happen here, the sea levels are going yes. to rise, okay? And that's going to put unbelievable, tremendous pressure on the sanctity of who owns the beaches because you're going to have all these private property owners – that are going to be besieged by high water they're going to want to move their footprint up and armor it with you know rocks and riprap and concrete and they're going to want to take they want to go or, or move their property if they want to rebuild and um out into the dry sands area for protection that's coming it's already happening OK, it's just not really being widely reported because, you know, we don't really have the Oregonian, the major paper in Portland this simply doesn't cover those issues. So that's coming. And what we need is legislation that says, no, if you built beachfront and the sea levels rise, you don't get to armor and rebuild and take more of public land because you built so close to the beach or you bought the property knowing that these things were going to happen. So that is coming and so i think that i would say is probably the gravest threat um on the oregon coast as far as access and you know preserving the public's right to use the beach and just who owns the you know those beaches there's tremendous population um increase in tourism in oregon and so you're going to get all of that and but also rob the same things are affecting the coast are affecting other places in the country there's gentrification there's homelessness, there's housing crisis on the coast, and all this impacts, you know, the beaches. Like, is it going to be – are Oregon Coast communities still going to be accessible to low-income people to come to the beach to hang out, maybe stay in a motel for one night or camp, or is this going to all go away or be overpriced? So there's there's some other issues like that that are going on as well.
0: That's – uh. Unfortunately, I hate to tell you this. It's not that's not an Oregon only. I know. Uh, I worry I, there for absolutely. sure. Um, that's something that oh man, everyone's dealing with. Uh, we're dealing with it here on the Texas coast. Um, you're definitely right. I mean, it's you know, I live in a community that's a, you know, it's tourism based, um, mm-hmm. and depending on uh, who you are, you get treated a little bit better than some other people. And there's there's always a big fight over, you know. The desirable people you want and the desirable people you don't want. And uh, I have spent years bashing my head against the wall because, you know, you you, you hit those points where you're advocating for a group of people and then sometimes they just, they go off and they prove you absolutely wrong. And the people you're fighting against, right. And they do some stupid, you know, stupid shit. And you're like, man, just. Just get your stuff together, you know. But, but it's it's through people like you that, that, you know, those people, you know, they'll they'll end up getting educated and they'll, 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 you know, they'll, they'll learn how to treat the resources better. And that's, but there's no reason why a few bad apples just spoil a bunch, in my opinion. So,
1: yeah. Um, And you you can't, I mean, I've seen a lot that happen to a lot of my friends and and my family members. I mean, they're in the game and then they get burned, okay, Um, in advocacy. And, you know, you just got to, you got to keep going. I mean, it was like my father taught me about being a teacher. He goes, Matt, who are the, you know, you want to know who the best teachers are in the classroom? And I go, what dad He goes, they're the ones walking around with one arm. And I go, what? He goes, because they held out their hands so many times to help kids. It, it fell off. And, <laughs> and I always remember that because, you know, you're going to extend the hand towards people or issues and it's not going to work. And usually it doesn't, but you just, you got to keep trying, you know? I agree. Uh,
0: and just, you know, keep it up the fight, but yeah, it's, uh, the, 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 sea level rise, you know, I think more and more people are or at least accepting that now, but, uh, but yes, places that rely heavily on public beach access, um, that's going to be a, a big, it's already, it's a big issue, but it's going to become a ever more increasing issue in the next 25 to 50 years. I agree. Sure. Um, and there's going to be a lot of, a lot of fighting over. Yeah. You know, who owns that beach and who can go there and
1: who can't and, and or who can protect it? Like, yeah. are you going to get a pour millions of tons of concrete down to save your structure or to build up out of the scale of where you were to protect your private property as opposed to? I mean, it's it's just a classic issue in, in a uh, representative democracy, like the needs of the many or or the needs of the few. Or I mean, we're, we're, we're going to be faced with that when when it comes to beach access and beach preservation. I know that's coming in Oregon. Right. Um, So we'll see what happens.
0: It would be so great if everything was black and white, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, that's just not life.
1: (laughs) That's not life. Uh, That's not poetry. That's not love. That's, there's no such thing. You know, it's all these gray areas and, and, you know, and, okay, so I'm politically progressive, but some of the most outrageously progressive and passionate defenders of beaches in Oregon are, people like fishermen right and yeah. loggers and the people that you know because or they go fish down there or, or whatever like there is that common ground that we touched upon like i just i found that you just can't group people into into camps and you've got to find out where there are and i know surf riders really made strides in doing that and tried to reach out to those resource communities you know um oh yeah nobody There's... really wants to ruin Nobody really, Rob, wants to ruin the beach or the ocean, really.
0: No, you know? no, not really. That, that's and that's the absolute so truth.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm always thinking about ways to find that common ground. Um,
0: that's that's usually the best way. It's uh, to go around the back and not get confrontational around the top. Figure out where you're going to meet in the middle. That's right. Um, that's right. Um, unfortunately, that, that doesn't always happen in today's
1: uh, environment. Well, but, and I'll, you know, to be to be frank, I've seen a lot of environmental groups come to the coast from portland and they've just made fools of themselves um for a variety of reasons we don't need to go into here so i love i've always loved the surf rider model is that you know charlie lives at the coast he doesn't live in portland or eugene and drive over and act like a dilettante right right? he he surfs he's out there he fishes he hangs out in the bars with the locals right and like that's the way you 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 change people you move people because you're among them and you're with them and not this you know approach for just you know parachuting in for a couple of lectures and you know i'm sure this is probably true in your area too (laughs) and so that i I, i've always really appreciated that surf rider rider model it's like union organ you know union organizing you had to go and live amongst the people to organize them and um so, I, I applaud that approach, and I've seen the results on the coast with the tremendous victory for Marine Reserves that Surfrider spearheaded, um, and were just you know indefatigable in that. I mean, they just never gave up, and you know, and we had so many people against them, and that was a very inspiring victory. No, <laughs> you know? it's
0: you know, it's a good model. I mean, it's 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 run yeah. and and done by people that are living in those areas that are try to influence, and that's that's very important. That's right. Um, so, Matt, what do you what do you have coming up, man? Do you have any? Are you working on any projects right now?
1: Yeah, I, I've got a couple things going on. Um, I've been working with um, a lot. Of, I've, I've become more an author coach, and, and I'm reading a lot of people's manuscripts and preparing them for publication. I really love that work. So I'm working with clients all over the Pacific Northwest anybody out there who has a project get a hold of me um i love working with authors primarily older who have been waiting their whole life to write a book and publish a book so i shepherd them through that process and it's a different kind of teaching rob but i, I really enjoy at this point in my career um and I, I think i'm pretty good at it and these these writing i'm getting from people is just blowing my mind so i'm doing that i've got some other books coming out um just you know, making my way. I'm I'm 55, and just sort of finding a new way in life, and um, you know, using the beach as a as a creative springboard and a spiritual springboard to you know reinvent myself and and continue to do the work. And um, I'll never stop writing about Oregon's beaches. For instance, I'll tell you a story th- this morning. So my local beach has this sand sand cliffs, and they're about probably 70 feet high, and over the years, people have written their names in them, like who they like. You know, Matt plus you know Angela equals yeah. love. You know what I mean? Like it's like carvings in the in the sand. And I I wrote a piece about it, it. Was really well received, called Cliffs of Love. I mean, Rob, some of these some of these carvings are 70 feet up a straight straight cliff. Like I don't know how people get up there and hey, do it. It's dangerous. Okay, <laughs> but they're so. They're motivated, they're in love, they're in lust, okay? Like I I and I, I wrote how romantic this is, and I wish somebody would write, you know, something like that for me, would scale a wall and, and carve my name into the cliff. And so I, I walk in the beach this morning and then there's a brand new carving, and it's like four feet high, fifty feet up. I don't know how they got up there. And you What's know what that? it said? I love, I love mess. <laughs> So I just started laughing because I said, oh, shit, are you telling me that all these people who carved up this were on methamphetamine and just jacked up at 2.30 in the morning, and that's what they thats what they did? It wasn't really about love. It was about meth. <laughs> so I just laughed because it turned the story, right? And so I'm going to write it called Cliffs of Meth now. I'm going to write a new updated story, and um, I'll send awesome. you a picture of it, okay? It's pretty it, – it's pretty funny, but that's what I want to be as a writer as a person. You can change, you can think differently and so they're high. They're doing this crazy shit down there. So what? They're on the beach you know, it's not a, it's a terrible drug and it's gonna burn them out at some point but they were at least I would play say hey, they were down there. It's more than you can say the people that are stuck in you know uh, on their phone all day in a cubicle and never get to see a bird. Or a blade, a leaf of grass, to quote Walt Whitman. So I, I'm. that's the gray right. area we talked about, right? It's just – it's not either or. So I'll continue mm-hmm. my writing about the beaches, building forts, maybe do something with the Fort Message Project if I can get some – maybe some financing for a book on that. We'll, we'll see what happens. But that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's cool, man. Anything, I mean, you know? you-
0: you got a great life out there in Oregon, man. I, I, I'm I'm it's it sounds I mean, you get to go to the beach every morning, get to write about it, you know, you get to do get to do what you love. And that I think that's that's a very important aspect, especially when it comes to advocacy for something I, I you do. love.
1: So and But I'm gonna quote I'm gonna quote famous Oregon Governor Tom McCall in one of his legendary statements he made in nineteen seventy, I believe uh to on a cbs uh evening news broadcast he, he said and i quote come visit us over and over again but for heaven's <laughs> sake, don't come here to live <laughs> i mean that was the governor of oregon saying that and he caught hell from the chamber you know types like for that but it's still sort of an ethos out here yeah come and visit but you know but you know what i don't really believe that if if good people who are conservation minded that care about beaches and you're from vermont or the midwest and you want to come to Oregon, then just get out here and and join the fray and and surf and perch fish i want to learn how to fish for perch and surf perching you know like i'm intrigued by those guys are down there like and i want to just cook them right up gut them which i've never done i've never caught a fish so but I, i i it's no never gone fishing and i and i just see those men and women often um Minorities, a lot of uh, Latinos and Asians are out there really early in the morning fishing and just k- collecting a bucket and taking them home and doing whatever they want. And uh, it's something I want to try and, and uh, write That's about cool. at, some, at uh, some point. You
0: know, you, I have to go check out perch fishing. Uh, we do we do uh, surf fishing here, but um, not usually for perch. We we usually go for.
1: I don't know if they have the in the Gulf the down, down there sure where sure you are. I mean, I, I, about, I'm yeah. sure they have some. Um, but yeah. Yeah. These are little surf perch. They're, you know, they're not very big. You don't even need a permit for them. So people just go down there. Um, and they're fishing right off the beach, which I, you know, it's so beautiful to photograph and to watch people's mannerisms and they bring their beer or, you know, they're smoking a cigarette or vaping their dogs down there, their girlfriends there, you know, like there's just all these stories that unfold when you watch people, um, and the one beach I oh, go really? to, there's a guy that's always gold panning, an old timer. And he's, uh, he's looking for gold coming out of a culvert and uh, the black sands. He just shovels it right down there in the surf and then sifts it out. I mean, it's just like there's a million yes, naked yeah. stories under the city at the beach. You know, like um, and seeing and, and, you know, I think some of my favorites are all the people that I see in, you know, major psychic distress that go there to to figure it out. Um, and I've been there multiple times in my life, you know, um, where everything seems lost and annihilated. And, you know, going to the ocean, watching that is it, it you know, right. it, re- it doesn't work. Now, some people enjoy the desert more, right, or the mountains. Uh, but there's some of us that it's the ocean that is the great fortifier or the rehabilitator.
0: Yeah, The ocean, um, all those places do, actually. I mean, the, the desert, the, the mountains uh, as well, but the ocean, you know of course has a special place in my heart. And yes, it is a, it has a great uh, healing power to it. um, Beyond physical.
1: That's awesome. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Um, One of my favorite poets, Richard Hugo, he had a, a line in one of his poems, like, I can't remember the name of the poem, but he just goes, when he goes down the ocean, we are absurd. (laughs) You know, meaning human beings. When you're standing next to the ocean, you know, like you're absurd you know, whatever has happened to you is so minute compared to the, especially the Pacific, you know, which is, you know, the greatest force on the planet and, you know, not to belittle what people experience or their suffering or their grieving, but it is a powerful agent of healing. Like you just said, and I know it saved my life to be honest with you. That's, um, that's awesome to hear. I love
0: hearing stories like that. Um, Matt, I would love to, to thank you once again for your time today um this has been a great interview um and uh a very different interview that i've done on this podcast um and i, I appreciate it um once again this is matt love um from oregon and author educator uh, drift uh driftwood fort builder um you name it on the beach and he's doing it and uh actually i guess you can call yourself a communicator too with uh the letters and your beach yeah forms. i'm a
1: facility i'm a message facilitator or there something yeah you,
0: you, you message facilitator um but thank you so much matt it's been great and uh you know i look forward to keeping up with you uh in the future too and seeing what you're doing and, and checking out your pictures and um if you want to sure. li- give anybody information on how to contact you go right yeah ahead. um
1: if anybody's interested in some of my books um you go to nestucca spitpress.com. Nestucca, which is N-E-S-T-U-C-C-A spit S-P-I-T press.com, and that's the name of my press. And I have a blog there. And uh, I'll leave you with this: I name my press after Nestucca Spit. It's a it's a stretch of beach um, in Tillamook County on the Oregon coast that was saved from a relocation of highway 101 by a famous Oregon politician named Bob Straub that they were going to move the highway right on the beach and he killed it, uh, through sheer political nice. chicanery, <laughs> um, for all time. Um, and that story so inspired me that I named my, my press and stuck a spit press, uh, after, um, Bob Straub and after, you know, that place was really special where I got my life together and, um, so that's that. And um, bring me on the show again. And um, you keep up your good work. It's important that we we just keep telling beach stories and telling surf stories and telling these these stories with our art and our advocacy and um, and and tell them differently than they're being told. That's. I'll leave you with that. Thank you very much, Matt, William and Thank you
0: so much, man. Have a great day and uh, have a great weekend.